Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and if you're enjoying the show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive every new episode a week early. Head to theconsumervc.com and push subscribe. All content and episodes are for informational entertainment purposes only and are not investment advice. Our guest today is Ashley Hind, founder and CEO of Waldo. Waldo makes daily contact lenses without the hassle or price tag. We discuss how she's building a brand with a product you can't see, how she approaches e-commerce and retail, and why she founded a contact lens company in the first place. Without further ado, here's Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? Hey, Mike. Good. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, so excited to talk about Waldo. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Start from the very beginning. Like, What was the insight or pain point that you went through that led to the founding of Waldo? Twofold, really. On the one hand, I've been a contact lens wearer since I was 11 years old. And frankly, it's always been a pain point getting my contact lenses, actually regardless of the country even. So in South Africa, where I'm from, or, you know, when I lived in the UK or even the US, this pain point existed, this friction around experience and price. And really, I think my own gratitude for the product, like I've always been very grateful that contact lenses exist. And so as a result, pretty passionate about the product itself, as well as it being such a sort of daily routine in my life. And then the second piece is that my mom is blind in one eye. And so I've experienced firsthand what the loss of vision has on a person and I suppose the immediate community around them. And so I've always had quite an obsession, I'd say, actually, with vision and sight as a whole. And so when I moved to the States in 2016 and I ran out of contact lenses, I went online to you know, try and get, my, get the brand that I was used to wearing and just really found the whole process difficult to navigate. And at that point, I decided, actually, hold on, this has been difficult from day one of me wearing contacts, I want to dig deeper here and try and understand the industry. And so that was essentially where the problem was was born from. I really appreciate you sharing that and the two reasons and your motivations behind it. One is a, as a personal pain point in the experience, part of the actual purchasing contacts since you're a contact user and also the inspiration from your mother and knowing how important um, obviously, vision is to all of us. Can you walk us through what the typical? I'm not a contact where I've been fortunate. I haven't had to wear glasses or or contacts, but would love to kind of understand like what specifically about the experience that you really disliked and what you wanted to change and like the early signs that you could change it with Waldo. First and foremost, I think one of the pain points that we're trying to solve for is access to the industry. So what we find is that generally consumers are pretty late and their eyesight is already quite bad by the time they go and visit their eye care provider. And we really want to make the eye care experience such that patients are going to visit their eye doctors much sooner and a lot more frequently. So because the onset 
is slow, generally people don't realize that there's a problem until pretty far down the line. So the first friction point, I think, is actually entering the eye care industry and having that first appointment with your doctor. And then the second pain point is, I think, once you have had that, uh, once you've got that relationship with your doctor and once you've had your eye exam, then navigating which product is right for you and what price point is very difficult. And so a lot of the big manufacturers, I think, have purposefully kept the consumer at a distance from how they talk about their product. So we find that, you know, consumers know very little about actually why they wear the contact lenses that they do and why they're priced the way that they are. And so what Waldo is trying to solve for on the on the product front is really being very transparent, not using any jargon and being very open about this is what makes a good quality contact lens. This is what you should be looking for. And this is the price. And it's going to stay that price regardless, really, of what platform you buy it for. So there's no coupons and rebates and sort of all these different pricing mechanics to navigate with us. And then sort of the final or the last uh, sort of stage of that consumer journey, I think, is continuing to be a company that is both medical in nature, contact lenses are a medical device and eye care is you know, within the medical industry, but adding a human-centered approach to that. So making sure that our customers feel like there is a person on the other end of the phone or the laptop or you know, whatever means of communication and keeping them engaged in eye care as a whole and as well as that looping in the doctor. So that's our goal, essentially, keeping eye care top of mind and removing friction through pricing and ease of distribution. Once you realize that, okay, there's an opportunity here to really also create with on top of all these things, I know that you said it before, kind of a human experience and kind of a brand within the contact industry. When you were kind of formulating all this, like what is a little bit about like the supply chain, the manufacturing side towards contact lessons? Are there only like a handful and globally? And then you're, is it kind of like a commoditized product or is there more to it? Like, how do you think about innovation on the product side? So we're pretty much dealing with an ugliopoly. There's three big players that control 88% of the market. J&J has the lion's share with almost 40%. And so as a result, this very big industry has been held in the hands of just a few. And the way that those manufacturers typically get their products into the hands of consumers is through a distributor and then onto another platform, whether that platform is an e-commerce website or a group of eye doctors. Typically, there's around two companies removed, at least, in that consumer journey. The actual brands that goes on to the contacts, are those the same brands as the manufacturers or are those the distributors that have those brands? Yeah, so those are the same brands as the manufacturers. So the manufacturer owns the IP of the product and the IP of the brand. They sell on to a distributor. The distributor then sells on to either another distributor that's consumer-facing, such as any of the contact lens online platforms, or they'll sell into a group of optometrists who then sell onto the customer. Got it. So the distributors are essentially the logistics providers for the manufacturers. On the brand piece, how also do you think about 
building a brand in a invisible product. I mean, I know we've seen obviously like Warby Parker do it with glasses, right? Um, and build an you know extremely compelling brand using you know online channels to do so initially. But how do you think about this with contacts? Since you know this is more invisible to to glasses, you don't have a frame per se. Yeah, sure. So great question. I've had that question actually a lot from investors that say, why do you need to build or why is brand important for a product that you can't even see? And they often use that analogy of frames or sunglasses because it's so visible and it's such a sort of fashion statement, if you will. And Warby has done such a great job at building their brand in that category. With contact lenses, the way that I think about it is, although it's an invisible product, it's still a highly personal and quite intimate product. So you're using it every day. It's the starting point of people's day and you're putting it in your eye. And so just because that experience is not necessarily shared or seen with others, that doesn't mean that the brand is any less important. And I think some great parallels in that respect are the you know multi-billion dollar beauty industry or or makeup industry you know when you look at somebody you don't necessarily know what cream they use but people can become quite uh, kind of high affinity for whatever brand it is that they use in the privacy of their bathroom and so that's the way we think about contact lenses i think a lot of our competitors might think about contact lenses as just being a commoditized product and therefore the experience doesn't really matter. We feel very strongly that the experience does matter. And when you incorporate contact lenses into your morning routine, you should feel great about the box that you're opening and the lens that you're putting in your eye. So you're thinking about all these kind of things about contacts. Of course, this is very personal to you since you're a contact user and, you know, especially with your mom as well, literally understanding, you know, obviously like the importance of vision. What were kind of the first steps that you took in order to actually found this company? How did you kind of structure it? I imagine that you probably started off selling online, but just kind of also love to kind of hear about how you thought about distribution and as well as getting the manufacturer on the board and then as well as price too. Because as you say, it's like $600, $700 typically for J&J. Like, how did you think about making like that price much more affordable and accessible to everyone else? So the starting point was around distribution price and quality. So I think I, you know, initially I set out with the question of, is it possible for me to get access to contact lenses that are akin or better to some of these big pharmaceutical brands out there? And out of interest, what do they cost to manufacture? And so I started off essentially just doing a deep dive on the industry and reaching out to a couple of those manufacturers, asking for pricing, asking for product characteristics, really just getting under the skin of what makes a good contact lens and why do they cost, how much do they cost to manufacture. Once I figured that out, I essentially felt really ripped off as a consumer. And so figured out that, I mean, the markups on these on these products are absolutely ridiculous. And I think that that's, it just shouldn't be the case for a, a product that is such a necessary daily healthcare need. So I think that perhaps that anger sort of fueled me to keep on going. And so secondary to, you know, solving for and doing a deep dive on 
the industry and distribution, I thought about how can we streamline that route to consumer so that we can really build a close relationship with the customer. Because I never felt like I had any affinity with the brand that I was using or really even knew why I used it. And so shortening that distribution and not using a third-party distributor was the second piece of that because we wanted to keep margins as tight as possible. That makes a lot of sense. And as you kind of point out, when it comes to margins, they should be a lot more sensitive given that this is, you know, medical devices, this is someone's vision. Instead of, I mean, I'm just thinking about products that have really high margins, like like beauty and personal care products typically have, you know, 80, 90% margins. And maybe some of them are for, you know, medical purposes, but I'd imagine like the large majority aren't. But that that actually like makes sense. They can kind of, kind of, market that way and also be sustainable um, in that way. So. so basically daily contact lenses are the most expensive. Bi-weekly lenses, which you change every two weeks, are in the middle. And then the cheapest would be monthly contact lenses. And so what ends up happening is that consumers that are price sensitive end up buying monthly contact lenses, which are far less hygienic for your eyes and really just not good for eye health whatsoever. So you end up compromising on eye health for price, which just shouldn't be the case. On the brand side of things, I know I know we talked about like the kind of the, the importance of you building a brand online. How did you approach building Waldo? What were kind of some of the themes that you wanted even in your marketing and, and, and even, you know, as you said, it was very important for you when you actually received the contacts that it was really like an amazing experience being able to actually open it up in the box. And so how did you kind of approach that side of it too? I mean, when we were building the brand, we started with, or I started with thinking about, you know, what do I want the company to stand for? And how is that different to how, you know, the incumbents are speaking to their customers? And so quality is, you know, first and foremost central to what we do. We do not compromise on quality or innovation Never mind the price. So that is um, sort of baseline for us. And you can see that in the way that we've, you know, really focused on product in the company. So we've just launched vitamin contact lenses where the saline solution is infused with vitamin B12. And, you know, that's great for consumers that have drier eyes and, you know, wear, wear contact lenses for, for longer during the day. But even that innovative product is still less than the entry level price point of some of our sort of large pharmaceutical competitors. So innovation and quality first. And so I've always wanted the experience of Waldo to feel premium. And so we think about that in the way that our site looks, the way that customer service handles comms, the way that the box arrives at your door, but also going the extra mile. So you know, being a high quality product and company also extends to how are we going beyond and doing more. And so, you know, not just on the innovation front, but also on how do we give back? Like we've got a partnership with Sightsavers that a portion of every sale goes to restoring sight in some way. So for every contact lens subscription, we donate a cataracts treatment for every bottle of eye drops, a trachoma treatment, and every pair of glasses, a pair of prescription frames. So 
Everything we do must feel high quality and premium, step one. Step two, should we should always be accessibly priced and affordable. So we benchmark ourselves against competitors and we push hard for efficiency in manufacturing and all through our supply chain to make sure that we're able to deliver high quality products at an affordable price point. And then the third piece was human-centered. So because our competitors are these giant multi-billion dollar corporations, it never feels like there's somebody else on the other side. I mean, you know, if I've got a problem with my AccuView lenses, for instance, I, I wouldn't know who to contact a J&J, for instance. And so human-centered and making sure that we feel like a company and are a company with real people behind the curtain that you can speak to at any time, I think that becomes a real moat. So I started the company thinking about those values. Those are our three values, and that's where we invested. So quality and innovation, making sure that there's efficiency and we can be accessibly priced, and and then, you know, obviously, and then the human-centered piece, making sure that that comes through. I know you said how when you actually were digging in first to the industry and looking at these margin profiles of some of these companies, you were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy how much these massive margins that people are making. And this is a, you know, a need. This is this is vision. This is, you know, one of the five senses. But what we've also seen as a theme when it comes to because I'd imagine that you're also able to get higher margins since you're selling online. You don't have to kind of go through some of those like distribution channels, which kind of just suck out a lot of your margin there. But we've also seen, you know, advertising costs, CAC uh, for online just become you know really high. I mean, I was just looking at a Twitter thread and someone said, oh, well, D2C is no longer sustainable, which I mean, I disagree with. But I'm kind of wondering, has that been the case as well in your category? Because I do think that a lot of this stuff is very category dependent on CAC increasing for not. And as well as, have you had to rethink it all price and margin based off of that kind of thing happening? We have definitely experienced that. I think anybody that's running an e-commerce business has. We've been pretty, I mean, I don't want to say lucky, but we've been very focused on efficient customer acquisition. So we we wouldn't change our margin or pricing strategy to, in essence, be able to pay Facebook or Google more to acquire customers because that pricing and accessibility pillar is so critical to the business. So we just think about ways that we can be smarter through referral campaigns and using new channels and testing new creative, doing as much as we can on on that front. But what I do think becomes a challenge with D2C or e-commerce customers is that it's a pretty different demographic if you are selling online and primarily through social media channels. And so if your goal as a brand is to become a mass market brand, then you need to think about where are my customers and how can I make that channel work? And it was that thinking rather than rising costs of digital that was the premise behind our partnership with Walmart. Can you dive, uh, dive a little deeper into that in terms of how that came about and also what that kind of partnership entails? Because I know that is like a pretty big part of your strategy with that partnership with Walmart. And why did you choose to partner with obviously one of the biggest retailers as opposed to also going direct to consumer with creating your own stores? We're actually not planning on going into mass retail now. Like that was in our plan for next year. But 
you know, we met with Walmart at the beginning of the year. And as I was speaking with their team about what they think is the future of vision. And as I was telling them what we were focusing on building, there was actually a lot of alignment. And, you know, if you think about some of the core pillars that I spoke about now with with uh, Waldo, which is, you know, high quality products, accessibly priced and in a human centric way, Walmart's values are, you know, essentially live better and save money. And so there was a lot of parallel between the way that, you know, both companies were thinking about vision care. And I was really excited about that. And I think there was just so much so much synergy and, you know, for Walmart, Waldo really represents a different kind of brand and a brand that resonates with perhaps a wider demographic than, you know, than usual for them. And for us, obviously it represents a new demographic of consumer, but also, and almost more importantly, a wider range of uh, doctors to build relationships with because we still fundamentally believe that that is a critical component of this whole eye care journey. And I think too often D2C companies come in and almost create this narrative that it's either online or nothing. Like online and offline cannot coexist. And I just, in this category specifically, I, I don't think that that's, true and then as far as you know going out and building our own stores we thought about that it's not really where our core skills lie it would be very capital intensive for us to acquire those skills and actually start to build stores and I don't really think that that's where the customer need necessarily is I think there are so many you know great you know, there's more than 40,000 optometrists around the US. I don't think the issue is the shortage of optometrists or optical centers. I think that the shortage or the lack is on quality experience at a better price. You know, I know that um, Waldo, it started off when you were in the UK and then you expanded the US. How do you think about geographic expansion? How was that transition going from the UK to the US? And and if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, so I came up with Waldo and started working on it in the US. But I just fairly recently, I suppose, moved across from the UK. One of the core differences between the US and the UK market is that actually contact lenses are a lot cheaper. Um, and actually pretty across the board, Healthcare products are a lot cheaper. In, and so my thinking was, if we can get traction in a market where price is not the main driver, so if we can get traction because of the product quality and innovation and the user experience, then that sets us up really nicely to expand into the US with some customer data under our belt and, you know, and then the plus side of also being... 30% cheaper than, than the incumbent. So that was some of my thinking around that. Um, but the UK remains, you know, an important part of our strategy and a important market for us, but the US is our bread and butter. So I've, you know, moved back to the US now and that's our focus. I, I don't think we'll be 
focused on geographic expansion for a little while, especially I suppose, also given the macro environment at the moment. I think we'll focus on where we That makes sense given the macro environment as well. Just probably also just want to focus as, focus as well on this partnership with Walmart, which is um, incredible. How did you also think and approach fundraising? The way that I wanted to go about fundraising initially was to bootstrap it. That's always been my kind of go-to, right? Like I was pretty new to the whole fundraising world when I started Waldo. But given the industry, given that it's healthcare, given that it's not really something that you can self-fund, or I suppose, let me rephrase that, not something that I could have self-funded at all. I sort of realized fairly early on in the business uh, case that I would need to raise capital. And so I sent the business plan around to some friends in finance asking for advice and feedback. And pretty quickly, we had a group of angels that wanted to put, you know, checks in. But to be honest, if I, knowing what I know now, I would have been a lot more, I would have had a much more robust fundraising plan in place, I think, before I started the business. It was a little ad hoc. I appreciate you sharing that. What was the biggest reason why an investor would pass on Waldo? What was maybe the most compelling part that you thought um, of the business why an investor would want to invest? Some of the reasons that we got for why an investor passed in the early days, I suppose, like single founder was one of them. So, you know, I had the feedback that if you had a if you had a male co-founder, like I think you'd be a lot you'd be much better placed to raise more capital. That was an interesting conversation. So that was one. I think another was actually your your point around how do you build a brand with an invisible product and, you know, in a space that has the potential to become a lot more commoditized. So how do you build moats around that, which I think is, you know, a valid concern, but I think through innovation and uh, creating a, sort of sublime user experience. Um, I'd say those were the two like major um, feedbacks that we got. And then on the why would an investor invest? I mean, iCare is a really massive space. It's been pretty undisrupted to date. There's only a handful of really big players. And, you know, typically the multiples in the space exceed that of other um, consumer categories. So it's a highly profitable category with very little disruption. And I think, you know, the investors that we've partnered with have really understood that Waldo is not just a contact lens subscription company. We are building a modern day eye care company. And that's a much broader vision, but it's it's nuanced, right? Like I, I don't think we haven't really seen anybody else doing it. So yeah, I think that's why they would invest. When you say modern day eye care company, are there additional products that you've been thinking about releasing? Yeah, so we, you know, we have expanded beyond just contact lenses. So we sell drops and blue light glasses, and we'll continue to expand our range within the eye care. And I say eye care to sort of differentiate against eyewear. You know, I don't think. At this stage, necessarily, we would go into frames, but there's a whole range of eye care products that 
that we could um, expand into. And so we're thinking about that and innovations within that space. And then secondly, we are building technology to assist with essentially scanning the front of the eye and making that relationship between optometrist and patient much more seamless and using technology to strengthen that relationship so that essentially, you know, without necessarily giving too much away because we haven't launched it yet, but essentially giving optometrists the tools to scan their patient's eyes. And when the customer comes back, they've got a reference point and we'll be able to see, you know, how has the cornea changed and essentially just make I care front of mind. What's one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally? So professionally, it's The Hard Thing About Hard Things by uh, Ben Horowitz. I just think it's the most like fantastic book about being a CEO and being a founder. And it's funny and it's just amazing. So that stands out above all the others. And then personally, I can't remember the author, but there's a book called Design Your Life, and it's written by two ex-Apple product designers. And essentially, they draw parallels between their frameworks for designing products to frameworks to design your life. And I just thought that that was a really interesting book, personally. It covers a lot of professional stuff, too, but... That's awesome. We've had a few other guests talk about hard things, about hard things before, but I don't think we've actually had anyone bring up design in your life. So excited to add that to the book list. It's great. My final question for you, what is the best piece of advice that you've, that you've received? Ordinarily, my answer to this question would be ask for money and you get feedback. Ask for feedback and you get money. It's a little more nuanced than that, but in a nutshell, like ask people for feedback I think often entrepreneurs, and I just speak for myself, like perhaps particularly female entrepreneurs, we want to have the idea so fully formed before we put it out there to anybody to get their feedback on. And opening that up, I just think is such a valuable, such a valuable thing. Ashley, thanks again so much for coming on the show. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. It was so nice to speak to you. Thank you. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Ashley. I really appreciate having her on the show. It was so much fun chatting with her about Waldo. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.